episode-by-episode podcast review of CBS's action-adventure series, MacGyver. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we'll be tackling Season 4, Episode 14, Gold Rush. The original air date for this episode was March 27th, 1989. It was directed by William Garrity. Uh, this is his first of 19 episodes of MacGyver, mm-hmm. so he's going to become one of the regulars. Um, he was also a director of photography for 54 episodes of MacGyver and 49 episodes of Magnum. Oh, wow. Um, it was written by David Engelbach. Uh, this is the only MacGyver writing credit that he has. Um, and I'm not 100% sure how it came about, uh, but it seems like he was not a staff writer that he was brought on specifically um, because, like... He had written an episode, and they had expressed an interest in him. But he wrote Death Wish 2, and he also uh, wrote the story for Over the Top. But from what I understand, it was changed significantly from what he had submitted, um, and he was not happy with the end result of the film. Yeah, well, they never are. Um, Because this this episode feels kind of like a spec script. Yeah, yeah, it kind of does, because it's a little bit different from a regular script, Mm -hmm. but it's also like... It's like a refreshing change a little bit. Yeah. Um, and it, he was also a research assistant on Jaws. Oh, which, interesting. Um, I read a, a long interview with him, and, and I guess he was basically like Steven Spielberg's assistant. But not like a gopher assistant, but right, like right, he would right. help with like casting stuff and all kinds of like random tasks and stuff like that. But uh, from the interview that I found with him on a blog called Stone Cold Crazy... Um, which I'll put, put a link to in the show notes. But um, in regards to his MacGyver episode, he said, yeah, my agents at the time specialized in television and they'd gotten me a gig at MacGyver, but he doesn't say any more right. than that. So presumably he just had a spec and they sent it over. Um, but yeah, so why don't we get into discussing... Uh, oh, actually, I should also mention happy birthday, Richard. Oh! Uh- is that when this episode's airing? This episode will post <laughs> on your birthday, so happy birthday, Richard. Oh, thank you. <laughs> People have one more piece of information to steal my identity from this show. Unless I air it on the wrong day, who knows? Oh, yeah. Now you have to, though. You're committed. Even yeah. if it... <laughs> it's too late. This is a birthday episode. What else is happening? Oh, Ghostbusters is out today. Happy, happy birthday, Richard. <laughs> is out today? It comes out on your birthday? Yeah, on July 15th. Uh, I didn't even know what the actual release date was for mm-hmm. it. I was going to put an announcement. Like, who's coming with me? <laughs> I will be there. Um, yeah. Uh, so why don't we discuss this episode right. in brief? <laughs> in, in this very special episode of MacGyver, um, a uh, Russian cargo plane carrying a shipment of gold crashes in the mountains, and it was lost until recently. They've discovered it, and the Phoenix Foundation is being sent to recover the gold. Right. Um, and it feels in different places like different episodes of the show it kind of feels mm-hmm. um in part like the pirates episode yeah, oh yeah where there's like a treasure and there's like a team of legitimate people trying to get it and then there's a team of less legitimate people trying right, to get right. it um and there's other similarities too that we'll come to later um but it also reminds me of the very end of the odd triple when all of a sudden jack's like oh by the way i got this uh i got yeah. this spanish galleon went down with all this gold and we're gonna go find it like mm-hmm. as far as the mission that he's supposedly canceled to go on this yeah one. yeah macgyver macgyver starts by saying that uh he he was recalled from his vacation to explore a sunken galleon presumably with jack yeah um to come up to the mountains to recover a plane that crashed with gold but before that we get some uh footage of the plane crash 
Right, yeah. So, we, we start in the Arctic Circle in mm-hmm. 1944. Yeah, 1944. Uh, so we don't know where this plane was bound for. We don't know why it was carrying the gold. We don't know why there was an American on a Soviet plane. We, we don't even know where we are in the world. Right. Um, because it's never said what country they're in. It kind of is later, but not, not specifically right yeah. now. I mean, in terms of coordinates that come up later, that oh, that's the belief true, that's that true. the plane crashed in Alaska. Right. Um, which is odd. Like, I mean, right? I mean, that Russian gold is being flown over Alaska. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty weird. Uh, uh, I mean, we, we were discussing how it used to be a Russian territory a way long time ago. Yeah. Like a hundred like years, years, years prior to this prior plane to this, going down. It, it, you know, uh, Seward's icebox, you know, Seward was the guy who negotiated the purchase of Alaska. Yeah. Uh, from Russia. And then everyone says, oh, that was a big mistake until they found out that the there was gold yeah. and oil. And they're all, wait a minute. <laughs> Not Suddenly, as terrible a decision as we thought. Uh, totally paid for itself. Yeah. But uh, it didn't become an official state until 1949. Right. And uh, so, uh, yeah, so it's kind of weird that they're up there. Yeah. I don't know where, where they're going. If it's coming to America, if it's going from America. Why is it's you know what we never get an answer. Yeah. So you can speculate you just, all you want. You just have to accept at face value that a plane with one hundred million dollars worth of Russian gold was flying over Alaska with one American on board. Yep. Who was who was under orders of a Russian general. Correct. And that the plane crashed and that only the Americans survived. Mm-hmm. Um, we also, uh, at least according to a comment left on uh, the MacGyver Project blog. Um, from someone whose name on the website was just Lejewski, but I don't have a first name. Um, the footage of the plane uh, turning left with the mountain straight ahead mm-hmm. is actually from th- one of those montages over a map from Raiders mm. as the plane is supposed to be flying from Peru to Cairo. Well, then mo- more than likely, Raiders probably got the footage. I, I was going to say it might even be stock footage from that movie too yeah. like because it's Paramount, you know, so they can kind of reuse stuff back mm-hmm. and forth. Um but yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we we hear the we see the two pilots, and the only pilot, the only name we get is for Captain Orbensky. Uh, we never get the name of the co-pilot, and they're pretty they're pretty silent, just making weird faces as the plane like one of the engines struggles. Right. Um, and they go down, but we get this really kind of cool shot of a model plane crashing. Yeah. But it hits the snow, and it's not... It's a really soft snow bank, so yeah. it just throws powder up. And then the plane bounces back up, but you see one of the propellers still like winding down yeah and it's all bent it's like that's actually pretty cool looking yeah. i'm sure when they saw the footage in dailies they were like oh man that looks so much better than we've realized yeah that was that was good work on the, yeah. on the on the models uh yeah so the plane crashes and as it comes to a complete stop we see the one lone crate ark of the covenant style slide across the fuselage it slides all the way and as it smashes open you see bars of gold spilling out right uh and then we then we're we move the to the present. We have gold rush over footage of the mountains. Mm-hmm. And MacGyver mentions the Spanish Galleon and how the Phoenix Foundation, along with a Soviet agency, uh, are attempting to recover the gold because the plane had just recently had been photographed uh, by... They say, right. I think they say satellite. Yeah, they I, said some unusual weather patterns caused the plane to be unburied when typically mm-hmm. it was always under snow cover. And presumably the Russians found this plane... Yeah. Or maybe some maybe other American satellite team yeah. found the plane, but definitely not the American that was involved in the flight. Because right. it seems like if he'd have found the plane, which he's been looking for for 45 years, he wouldn't have told anybody about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. 
So now it's a big ordeal, though. They're, they they have a base camp with tons of Phoenix Foundation personnel, and uh, MacGyver arrives via Snowcat uh, and meets the only. And we don't mean like a vehicle; like he's riding a snowcat. Yeah, it's crazy. Like it's like a, a cat made almost completely of snow. Oh, I was gonna say like snow leopard. Oh, okay, like that works too. Yeah, operating system. operating system. Perfect. <laughs> he's uh, riding a small laptop <laughs> over the hill. Uh. He is immediately met by Colonel Turk West. Right. Uh, uh, he, I believe he was a lieutenant so at the time. He looks like Lee Majors, but with a mustache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's he's very typical, like, military play right. character. Yeah. Uh, he, he hates the commies, yep. the reds. Uh, yeah, he's and, still at war with them in his head. Yeah. And uh, MacGyver is arriving and... He, he basically is super upset that the Russians are even involved in this. Yeah. Even though it's their plane and their, their gold. gold. Apparently. Yeah. I guess finders, keepers, losers, weepers. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like where it lands is. Yeah. <laughs> Ownership is nine tenths of the law. Yeah. Um, also, he says that this money shouldn't go to the Russians. It's he wants to send it to the <laughs> Afghan freedom fighters. <laughs> he thinks the Mujahideen would do much more but good much better. with, with you know $100 what? million. Dollars. We should give them more money. <laughs> This is like the ending of Rambo 3. Yeah. This film is dedicated to, to the, the Mujahideen. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and then MacGyver s- says, well, it sounds like the Russians want to spend it on earthquake. Earthquake relief. Yeah, yeah. earthquake relief. In in Armenia. Right. Um, so it, this is like a very focused, this seems like a, such a broad effort to go to such a local source. Right. Um, I don't know how they negotiated that this agency, whatever Russian agency, would get the gold. Uh, instead of the government. Yeah. The, the people's government. Yeah, because I don't think the Russian government would be spending it all on foreign aid. Yeah. It's it, it's a really unusual situation. Yeah. But perhaps, even though that they are Soviets, perhaps they're not really part of the government government. Yeah. Uh, but you work for the Soviets. You're in the government. Yeah. Uh, so at this moment, after just after MacGyver arrives, the uh, Russian team arrives, which is made up of Air Marshal General Baranov and Dr. Natalia Velskaya. I'm yeah. butchering the name. They they only say her last name once. So is Sergei's there before? Uh no, like they introduce him as just as General Baranov, but Sergei oh, okay. comes in later. Okay. I didn't I usually add those when I but I didn't add it this oh, time. Okay. Um I only added general because uh Turk calls him general, but he he's introduced as air marshal. Yeah, but, but he it, says he served under him at like a universe. Or I yeah. still think of you as my general. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, MacGyver calls him general too. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I don't know if like maybe air marshal is like a, a retiring title. Yeah, I'm not like, sure. You still because I'm not because I'm again these are, these are kind of like Russian uh, positions. Yeah. Uh, so MacGyver sees. Natalia and is immediately like frowny face. Yeah, he is not happy to see this woman, and uh, and apparently they knew each other five years ago, and she thought things were cool. Things are not cool. Yeah, things are not cool. Turns out it didn't work out so well. So they get into this little like tent area. Yeah, it, it's like a it's a big tent. Yeah, but it's not doesn't seem like it's insulated very well because you can see almost the outside. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, the the general and Natalia approach uh, the colonel, 
who refuses to shake their hands. Yeah, yeah. He just but gestures he, to a satellite map. But when the, when the general first walks up, he salutes him to mm-hmm. avoid shaking his hand. Yeah, yeah. But it seems like he's just being, like, overly, like, outgoing to, yeah, it, yeah. to show, like, oh, no, I'm on your guys' team. Look, I'm, I'm even saluting him. And mm-hmm. it's really because he doesn't want to shake his hand. Yeah, yeah. And then when Natalia puts out a hand for him to shake, he just, like, turns around and says, oh, as you can see from these maps. That, yeah, yeah. I was like, she's new like, weather. And, and she does one of those things where you just kind of, like, they look, they look at their hand, like, What's, what's wrong? Is there something what's wrong, wrong with my? Uh, you don't I, want... <laughs> I would I would love to have a scene like that where where with like they from the long shot it looks like the hand's fine but when they look at it it's like crawling with like maggots yeah, so it's like, like, oh, like oh yeah. I get it yeah, yeah that that's totally <laughs> yeah you should have passed on that that reminds <laughs> me of a joke me and Andy had in a script that we wrote where these uh, these two guys working in an office and he's like secret handshake and he's like secret handshake and then they just do a regular handshake. And then the guy behind them in the same cubicle with them is like, wait, your secret handshake is just a regular handshake? And they're like, kind of. And then he's like, oh, God, what is that smell? (laughs) 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 Their secret handshake is just to shake hands regular and fart at the same time. (laughs) And then later on when there's like, terrorists taking over the building they're like secret handshake secret handshake because <laughs> they're trying to figure out where this guy is in the room so they both fart until they can hear him choking <laughs> oh man that uh, is that is fantastic good times that's the kind of writing i do in case mm-hmm. listeners are interested. <laughs> i'm laughing i started with a fart joke to introduce you guys to my writing yeah. anyway um yeah so he's showing them on the map where mm. they think this plane is and they basically start their expedition yeah yeah macgyver says they're gonna get underway in an hour and then just immediately they're underway yeah why not just say we're gonna get underway immediately yeah. why, why say in an hour just to cut right to them already at the plane yeah and they also said that they there's um a storm heading in so right. they can't have like a helicopter or anything they have to go on foot yeah and the storm never plays into the episode by the way yeah they keep talking about even the it. fifth act happens before the storm yeah because pete's like oh i just beat the storm in uh yeah so they keep bringing it up for no reason uh while they're traveling macgyver says he needs to get his bearings and uh takes a moment to kind of like get the lay of the land yeah uh so natalia and he have a moment but before that Air Marshal Baranoff and Colonel West have a moment to talk because Baranoff is kind of like a little sketchy on some of the details. Like, like he's read the report, but he kind of wants West's impression of what happened. Yeah. And West really plays this part convincingly of that, like, you know, I was told to bail out. The engines were out in trouble. They wanted at least someone to survive. But he's like, I could have found a place for us to set down. Yeah, he, he was wrong. I could have stayed on the plane and helped he, him land. Yeah. And I, we don't know how true or false this part of the story is because, at least in the footage that we see, we don't see anyone bail out of the plane. Right. The The footage from 1944 may have started after he had already vacated the plane because mm-hmm. we also don't see an American in the cockpit or anything. But we definitely hear the engine struggling. Yeah. And one, at least one of the propellers has stopped spinning. Yeah. Uh, before, the, before the crash. Right. So... Now, Natalie, uh, Natalie, Natalia, uh, she says to be called Natalie later, but yeah. uh, she tries to have a moment with MacGyver and says that we get a sense of what happened, that they were probably kind of falling in love, and she used him to steal something and then abandon him. Right. And we and, didn't mention before, but the the general is uh, the same actor from GX1. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who is uh, Gogol the, from the... 
from the James Bond yeah, he works franchise. In the, the Kremlin in the James Bond he, franchise. He's the M of of yeah. the of the Russian of the KGB. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and he was previously a psychic. Right. And now he's uh, just playing the straight man. Yeah. Both of his his episodes start with plane crashes, though. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I think he just he just causes plane yep, crashes. Everywhere he goes. Uh, and so MacGyver isn't willing to forgive her or even talk to her about it. Um, so then they just get moving again and they find the plane. Is uh, he, um, is he in the Pierce Brosnan? Uh, I don't think so. Ones? Oh, okay. Because there's no, that that's long after the Soviet collapse. Cause there's still a lot of Russian stuff in Goldeneye. Um, that's true, but um, I think either maybe the actor was either too old or he may have passed away yeah. before Golden. Maybe he was only for Roger Moore, and mm-hmm. maybe possibly for um, Timothy Dalton, or no? Um, was he in a Dalton? I thought he might have been for two Bonds, but maybe not. He, he may have been. I definitely remember him in a couple of Roger Moores, obviously. Because I was going to say, if he was in Goldeneye, then he played like... Uh, High office in the Russian army, yeah, yeah, with a Natalia below him in both cases. Yeah, I don't remember if he was an adult in one. Yeah, maybe not. But uh, so they find the tail section of the plane, which is exposed, and uh, MacGyver pulls out like a, a, a ultrasound sonar kind of, which is developed goggles. by the Phoenix Foundation. So mm. we don't have to explain pre- explain how this works or where mm. this technology came from. But it's kind of a cool effect where we see through the through the uh, scanner and we're seeing the yeah. plane fuselage. I think it would have been funny if he had to like rub that gelatin all over the <laughs> snow. And he's just like, before he could use the ultrasound machine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a plane. <laughs> yep, it looks like there's a plane. And oh, there's the do penis. you want to know? <laughs> do you want to know the sex of the plane? Because it's the lady plane. Oh, I don't see always. any penises on this plane. <laughs> Uh, but MacGyver was able to determine that the cargo door was missing. Right. Either broken off. In the well, crash. it's almost foreshadowing because these guys, I mean, when we, we move down into the plane, they already dig their way in. Mm-hmm. Um, which it's kind of funny because he's like, all right, well, the, the door's open on the side. So we're going to dig our way down to the plane. Yeah. And then we're going to go in. And then Natalia's like, how? Yeah. And he's like, uh, here's the shovel. And the she's shovels. like, oh, like, dig. what do you mean? How? You really couldn't put together how we were going to get to the plane? Yeah. It's right here sticking out of the snow. You packed the shovels. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then when they get in the plane and they're moving around, the general moves up to the cockpit and sees mm, that no bodies. the bodies are gone. And uh, so that's why there wasn't a door on the side of the plane. Right. They, because they escaped. Mm-hmm. And uh, so as they're looking around, they check out the cargo contents and there's only one bar of gold in the crate. Right. In fact, the crate also has been repaired uh, because it broke open yeah. when we saw it last. But, but now it, it's sealed shut again. Now it's sealed shut again. Um, and Wes is immediately like super upset. He's like, yeah. where's the rest of it? There were 500 bars of gold in here. Now there's yeah. one. Uh, and uh, so they knew that they can't. they couldn't have moved the gold that far because right. there was so much of it. So it's got to be in the area. But later we see it was moved really far. Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, so they start kind of looking around a little bit more. And MacGyver and Natalia again have a a moment to talk. Yeah, she's like, how can I help? And he's like, by staying out of my way. Mm-hmm. And uh, she 
she tells MacGyver more of the story of what happened yeah. when oh, she and tells him. us more of the story. Yeah, uh, that she did want to have her uncle defect and get have use have MacGyver get him out of the country, but the KGB found out, and so she was forced to, in order to keep him from going to prison to, to give hand over the papers that MacGyver had right. that were going to help him defect. And uh, so she apologizes, and that's why she wanted MacGyver brought in and the Phoenix Foundation. Right. Uh, so MacGyver, I think, realizes five years is long enough yeah. to hold a grudge. and uh, So he accepts her apology. And as they're exploring f- uh, more of the plane, they find a whole whole shipment of, like, vodka. Right. Uh, uh, apparently they, they say it's 150 proof. Yeah. It's like, whoosh. So that's, what, 75%? Alcohol? Yeah, seventy five percent because two hundred is is one hundred percent. But the, they take a few swigs and they're just like, Ugh, like basically just yeah. rubbing alcohol, you know. What is it? What does uh, the general call it? He's like, this is what white you thunder. Americans call white thunder, and yeah. she's like, no, white lightning. White lightning. She's more accustomed to the American way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but there's still like kind of no sign of of what happened, so. Uh, as they're kind of sitting and talking about why they would carry vodka, like, cause they would trade with other Americans. Cause this is, this is when the, the Soviets, uh, were our allies during the war. Right. So there was no real reason to not like share things. So the general was saying how, uh, they would probably trade the vodka for like American cigarettes and nylons and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And the general's kind of like handling the one remaining gold bar and it's kind of like rotating it around in his hands, not looking at it. But Wes notices on the and one side... And we notice very yeah. clearly. It's pointed at the camera for long enough that mm-hmm. you can see. There's, there's something carved into the back of it. It looks right. like a series of numbers. The top of it has a little stamp in it, too. There's like an eye. Mm-hmm. But it's like the symbol of whatever Russian bank it belonged to or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's marked gold. You'd have to melt it down if you were going to sell it. Yeah. And uh, so MacGyver thinks that maybe the plane can give us some kind of indication of where the pilots may have gone or what may have caused the crash. And uh, as MacGyver kind of goes into the cockpit to look around, he sees that the fuel gauge is stuck at half full, even though the report indicated that they were out of fuel and that's why the plane crashed. Right. Uh, so Baranoff immediately suspects, suspects the American. West. Yeah. Uh, he says, how about you said the plane was out of fuel? I was like, yeah, was like, well, the fuel gauge says it's half full. It says, well, then maybe the fuel line got blocked. Yeah. And that's why it, the engine stopped. And But he also, like, had it written down the numbers on the back of the gold bar and casually, like, lights up a pipe, like, I'm going to go outside and smoke this pipe. Also, inconspicuously. But uh, Baranoff does not buy it, and so he follows him outside. Yeah. In the meantime, MacGyver and Natalia find out that there's a... Uh, a dictaphone being right. transported on the plane, which contains military secrets. It says classified, do not open, but it's been but open. It's already been opened, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple of wax cylinders, and there must have been a blank one, apparently. Yeah, because um, they went and recorded their own stuff. Mm-hmm. Which I would think if there's the equipment to record, there should be the equipment to play it back. Well, there, there was, but it was rigged up to the plane's electrical system, which is, which no is all shorted, yeah. Yeah, no longer functioning. So MacGyver rigs up. Um, a way to turn the spindle, but then uh, has to kind of like figure out a way to amplify the the sound. Right. Because uh, again, it's it this this is this is beyond the, the days of being uh, 
amplified by a horn, it would have been electrically amplified. Right. So, as Baranoff... But he ends up doing it with a horn, kind of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could, you can still. Yeah. But the reason that, that they couldn't do... There wasn't a horn included. Right. Because it would have been electrically amplified right. versus... Uh, so he ends up creating his own horn. Correct. By borrowing the pin that she has in her shirt of a little mm-hmm. teddy bear. Um, and then connecting that to, like, a paper mache. I th- yeah, I think it was, like, a map that, yeah. they, that they... Again, map will always get you where you want to go. Yep. <laughs> wow. Recalling first season stuff, people. Yeah. Um, Burnoff follows West outside as West digs through a box of not very well-hidden C4. Yeah. Um, and some remote detonators. And he starts planting them all over a hill. Yeah. And... Baranoff does not confront him yet. Yeah. He's though, just watching from afar. As he's like planting, he's probably thinking about maybe I'll let him bury the plane and I can get the goal. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be the only survivor of this mission. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they're able to listen, uh, getting ready to listen to the wax cylinder as Baranoff now finally confronts West. Yeah. And. You know, he tries He tries to appeal to his nature as a soldier. He says, you know, you don't have to do this. You don't have to add new blood to old. Basically yeah. saying, I know that you caused this crash. Yeah. And uh, he and West have this great fight. and um, But West gets the upper hand and then chucks a friggin' pickaxe right into the guy's chest. Yeah. It's crazy. It's pretty awesome. Because <laughs> it goes right into his heart. Yeah. And uh, as MacGyver now and Natalia listen to the spindle, it's a recording of uh, Captain Orbensky saying... That Is he addressing the, the American directly? Yeah, he says Because he assumes West. you're the only person who's going to find this plane. Yeah, exactly. Because like, he realizes that he must have sabotaged it in order to come back for the gold. Yeah, he says we found the timing device that you used to block the fuel pump. Right. And... We know that what you're coming for, so we've left you the coordinates. Come and get it. Yeah. And that's when MacGyver realizes that West is involved. And as they run out of the plane, West sets off the the explosives. Yeah. And you mentioned that we we, we see a reoccurring avalanche. Yeah, this is footage from uh, out in the cold um, of an avalanche starting Mm -hmm. at the top of a hill. That was caused by, and that was caused by a gunshot. Right. This was actually less of an avalanche and just more of just exploding snow and letting it tumble yeah. down onto the plane. Uh, MacGyver and Natalia dive back into the plane for cover, which they probably would have been okay just running because it, it, it didn't really cover much of the plane. Well, we do see that shot when they jump into the plane of it totally wiping out the doors. Yeah, but the body of the general was still sitting out on top of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They probably would have been fine if they had just laid down. Mm-hmm. And Pete would find him. <laughs> yeah. You can always count on that. Ah, Pete broke his leg again. Uh, <laughs> so, in the plane now, after the break, MacGyver is trying to uh, dig his way out, but the snow is just packed in there too tight. Yeah. And so, Natalia just kind of casually starts pouring herself a drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's she's going to get drunk. Um, and that's when MacGyver realizes, oh, maybe we can use this alcohol. I thought he was going to use the alcohol to like burn their way out. Um, it kind of does. Yeah, that's true. Um, luckily, there's an air tank, I guess, in the plane. Yeah. Which still has compressed air in it. Uh, Somehow. 
really well made tank. Yeah, and uh, so MacGyver. Or is that a tank that they brought up with them? I don't know why they would bring an oxygen tank into the plane. In case they, they had to go higher into the mountains than they thought. But then why would you bring it into the plane? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, there was an air tank in there. Yeah. And so they fill a bucket up with vodka <laughs> and shove the air tank in there and then kind of wedge it into the snow that they've already dug a little bit. And they just light the vodka on fire. That's yeah. basically their plan. And she's like, what if it doesn't work? And it MacGyver wouldn't just have... waits for it to work. Yeah. It, it, the, the theory is that it's going to heat up the tank and explode the tank with enough force to blow open a hole for them to escape, which it does. But I think that the explosion would have just shot. It's not focused enough. Yeah, and I think it would have just dumped that bowl bucket of flaming vodka all over the plane. And it would have lit all the other vodka. Yeah, it would have, because it's just, just like dumping gasoline all over the floor with, yeah. the, with it already on fire. It would have just spread all over the place. Um, plus, the sound contained in that airplane would have... Deafened them. Yeah. They, for they, the whole rest of the episode, at least. Yeah. Uh, but they're able to just come out. Yeah. Um, I have to admit, though, also, that they must have either changed locations or really just dumped snow down this hillside because it's different. Like, well, you we can... do see charges going off and a pile of snow come down the hill yeah. like from legitimate footage. So maybe they just actually set something off and then yeah. filmed right afterward. Because there, there is clearly freshly disturbed chunks of snow. Yeah. Like, it... it it was not artificially placed there. Like it was, yeah. it, 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 it was real. And, uh, they find the body of the general and, uh, they, he's realize, not even buried really. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's exposed and they don't even reveal the, um, the pickaxe in his chest cause he's kind of, chest well, it's down. not even there anymore. Cause when he fell, it like fell out. Cause then he rolls down the hill oh, more and true, you see it's true. not there. Oof, still, I don't, I never get, how you can throw a hatchet or an axe and have it land in such a way that the blade hits you and not any other part of the axe. It is honestly not that hard. If you practice it for a while, you can hit a man in the heart. <laughs> no. Um, but you really, it's like we used to do hatchet throwing and like tree stumps and stuff like that. And I, I remember um, there was a, there's a great podcast called I was there too, hosted by Matt Gorley. Mm. And uh, he interviewed a guy on uh, from, the revenant okay and he said the entire cast would do like hatchet throwing contests like they all Jeez. got really really good at it by the end of the movie well clearly west has had training yeah he's been practicing axe. um so their only way to catch up with west is to follow the tracks based uh from the snow snow cat that he took yeah yeah um which is again it's really far yeah these coordinates are out there to the point where it's not just like let me look around it's they took this gold a long way. Right. It must have taken them days. If you track the actual coordinates, like you plug them into Google, it's it's like a, a lake called Sunshine Bay, which is in Emanac, Alaska. But it's like out of the middle of nowhere. But the plane would have crashed like in the lake, mm -hmm. or the gold would have been stored in the lake, I yeah, guess, because yeah, yeah. the plane didn't crash at this location. That's where the gold is. It was taken to that location. Yeah. Uh, so what did you say was Emanac? Emanac, Alaska. Is that the is that the borough in which it is in, or the the town? I don't know. Okay, because Alaska doesn't have counties. 
Oh, really? Yeah, I love to throw that out there. There's only two states in in, uh, in the United States that don't have counties. Are they the last two? <laughs> no. Um, it's, not a, it's not Alaska and Hawaii? It's Alaska, because Alaska has boroughs. Um, and uh, uh, Louisiana, which has uh, uh, parishes. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so like all those things in... But everything else has counties? Yeah, it's all counties otherwise. That's weird. A little, little trivia for you. Uh, where was I? <laughs> um, it goes in my only two states trivia. Like, there's there's only two states where you're not allowed to pump your own gas. Yeah, yeah. Oregon is one, I know, for sure. Yeah. What's the other one? I think it's like New Jersey or something. Really? Oh, yeah. It's so weird. Yeah. Um, I guess they have reasons, but... Uh, and uh, so they follow the snowcats, but... Uh, Obviously, Wes is going to get there first because he's, he's the one driving it. So he finds a cave that has a piece of the plane fuselage like kind of like attached to it that has the Soviet star above it. Yeah. So he figures, well, this is it. Uh, and as he crawls into the tunnel, uh, he's immediately greeted by a mummified corpse right. of Captain Orbensky. Wonky-eyed. Yeah, his eyes are like rolled up into his head, but still there. Yeah. I guess you know, your eyes mostly They freeze liquid. over, yeah. yeah they just, just shrink down a little bit. Um, and uh, he sl- gives him like a half chuckled salute. Yeah, like like oh, captain. Nice try, he says, as yeah. though this were already some, yeah. some sort of a trap, just standing there. Mm-hmm. And so he immediately hits a tripwire, which causes this big old chunk of the propeller, which looks like it must have been part the propeller on part of a landing gear. Yeah, which again they had to drag there. Yeah, uh, it comes down, and instead of getting out of the way, he just screams. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and we cut back outside to MacGyver and Natalia arriving and now they go in and they find the, the body and it's a great reaction because she, she goes, Oh, and MacGyver goes, what? And so MacGyver shines And then the we cut goes, to the wide shot and it's right in plain sight of both of them. Yeah. So either MacGyver just didn't see it and it was totally there or MacGyver's like, what? It's a body. Yeah, it's a body. I already, I knew it was there. <laughs> what about it? Uh, they find the piece of the propeller that has blood dripping from it. Yeah. And it's such a kind of a corny reveal, but they just follow with the flashlight, not the moving. The blood stains on the ground. The blood, the blood, and then get to Colonel, the Colonel's feet and yeah. follow him up. And he's got a gun. It's like, that's a pretty hokey reveal. Yeah. <laughs> he's just standing there and he yeah. just shine the flashlight. And he's already got his hand all wrapped up because yeah. apparently he caught the propeller before it hit him. Yeah, I guess. And I don't know if they sharpened up the blade or something like that because propeller blades aren't really sharp. Yeah. Um, they, you know, obviously they would cut you in two spinning around as fast as they do. Yeah. Uh, oh man, like you know, Raiders Lost Ark. Yeah, you know? I was gonna say Raiders yeah. again. Uh, or the classic Family Guy chicken fight. <laughs> yeah, where they just did the Raiders fight. Uh, so Wes wants them to kind of continue into the cave in front of him in case there are more booby traps like yeah. propellers coming out of the walls and uh so like they kind of start there macgyver has plenty of opportunities too to like knock west to the ground yeah because he hurt. doesn't take any of them yeah uh so the next trap that they hit is another tripwire trap hooked up to a bottle of battery acid and a bottle of plain aviation fuel which macgyver 
recognizes very quickly, considering they're just emptied bottles of this mm-hmm. vodka from the plane. Right, yeah. They, like, he, he can tell from the corrosion on one that it right. has to be the battery acid, but the other one, he's just like, and that's probably jet fuel. Yeah. It's like, there's no way to tell that from outside the bottle. And, and he also says that there's no way to disarm it. Because we have no idea how they're connected. It's like, you just take one of the bottles down so they don't hit each other. Yeah. Because that's all that this trap is designed to do. Um, so they just said, well, we'll just leave it alone. It's like, no. Yeah, that's the safest thing to do is leave it alone. Leave this explosive charge live behind us. Yeah. As we move deeper into the cave. Just don't forget that it's there. Yeah. Uh, so they enter this kind of like giant crystalline. I mean, if they really wanted to keep the gold safe, why didn't they just trip that alarm themselves? Yeah. Close up the cave. Yeah, because you know where it is now. Yeah. Just bring in the larger excavation team and get it. Yeah. Uh, or, I mean, why didn't the Russians trip the alarm so that it's like i have no idea where the gold is the cave ends here oh just cave it in that's true and not even have the gold in there yeah like just lead west into 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 death yeah that would yeah that would have been a better idea it would have worked that way than easily diffusable booby traps leading Mm -hmm. to the actual prize uh yeah so they avoid this booby trap only to have natalia step on another one uh, in, it's in, kind of the same one. Yeah, pretty much. Um, they're inside like a giant kind of crystalline cavern where there's like natural light coming through the ice. And uh, so then there's the big pile of gold, but they can't get to it because Natalia stepped on this uh, pressure plate. Yeah, it's a bouncing Betty. Uh, and so the moment she lifts her foot up, it's going to ignite or detonate whatever it might be attached to. They don't know. They, it could, there could be explosives underneath it. They, they have no idea. What movie is that from where the guy's giving the lecture about the bouncing Betty and then the student starts arguing with him and then he steps on it? Like, he, he goes up to talk to the teacher and he steps on what he doesn't realize is a bouncing Betty that's, like, underneath the grate in the classroom? Uh, I always just remember that scene from Tropic Thunder. No, it was, it was way earlier than that. But I remember, like, the student's like, there's no way this is a live bomb because, mm. like, the kid hasn't been paying attention and he doesn't know how to defuse it. And then the, the teacher's like all right, well, that's up to you to decide. And all the other kids are like, oh, let's get out of here. So they all leave the classroom. The teacher leaves the class and the kid's in there by himself. And they're just watching through the windows. Like, what is he going to do? And then eventually the kid decides he's going to call the bluff and he steps off of it and starts to walk away. And it bounces up to like eye level and explodes and it just shoots blue paint all over the room or something like that. (laughs) Bouncing Bettys are crazy. Yeah, we saw them a little bit in the last Pirates episode. Oh, it's true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When they're on the island, and he's explaining how they how they explode, they pop up and then they explode in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, in Eraser, there's a really cool one. Oh god, that one's terrifying. <laughs> because it's it looks like a Doctor Mario pill. Yeah. But it, it and it kind of writes itself up before it springs up and then shoots out uh, drill bits. Drill bits. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's insane. That's the creepiest one. Uh. Terrible movie, but yeah. got some cool stuff in it. Uh, so, in order to disarm this trap, MacGyver has to chip away some of this ice that's encased it. Right, so to, just to see the inner workings yeah. of it. Which would have taken him like an hour with that knife. Yeah. Um, and you can see that there's basically two pieces of metal that line up that have like holes pre-drilled conveniently. Yeah. And so if he wants to defuse it, he just has to jam something in there. And honestly, the first time he gets a good look at it, I was like... Oh, you could just stick your knife in there and yeah. stop it from going up. But instead, when he gets up, he says, 
all right, well, we need to get some gold to weigh it down. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, just, just yeah, jam it. You could just jam something in that hole. And I think we, we, we determined through math that each one of these gold bricks weighs 30 pounds. Yeah, about 30 pounds. Because they said it's it's uh, 100 million uh, bars of gold. Mm-hmm. Or no, $100 million worth of gold. Right. And at the time, gold was worth 400 an ounce. Right. And they're... And there's 500 bars, which would mean that each of them weighs or is about two hundred thousand dollars worth of gold. Yeah, and like we determined that you know that, that roughly the, thirty pounds times sixteen. It was this like, is nineteen forty four dollars, by the way. The no, it's isn't it worth no, three hundred million they, now? It's three hundred million now. Oh, in, in the present, in it was, okay. it was worth about a hundred about a hundred million. Okay, but yeah, it's worth three times as much now in okay. in, in twenty sixteen. Okay. Because, like I said, in 89, gold was 400 an ounce. Uh, 2016, is like 1,200, I think. Okay. It goes up and down, obviously. but Mostly up. Mostly up, because it is a finite resource. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so MacGyver takes a piece of uh, a pack that I guess Wes was planning to take the gold out in. Yeah, but he takes the whole bottom shelf of it off. Yeah, so it's so, like, this isn't going to work to carry any gold now. Um. And, he, and the bar is completely is perfectly shaped to fit into the hole, and so she's allowed to step up off of it, which locks the bar in place. Yeah. And then West kicks MacGyver off the edge, and, and he grabs onto the bar that's holding the bomb from exploding. The bomb. It's like what? Wait till he stands up, then kick him over. Yeah. Um, and then he leaves Natalia perfectly. Okay. Yeah. I, instead I, of pushing her over too, he like pulls her aside mm-hmm. so that she's away from the cliff face and just kind of pushes her against the wall. But it's like, push them both off the cliff. Yeah. It's like, what What do you think is going to happen now that you've got the gold? Um, he, he's totally obsessed. Yeah. He's like, he's like cradling it and goes, like, my prize. He's so excited. Yeah, I won. I won. I defeated you. Yeah. Like, I guess this, this is like his end game, like of defeating the communists. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure he's going to give it all to the Afghani freedom fighters. I'm sure he's not. Um, he's going to spend it all on apps. <laughs> <laughs> That's my theory. Just blow it all like, on apps. I'm going to buy Infinity Lives and Candy Crush. <laughs> 30 years from now. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to put it in an account so that I still have it to buy yeah. when Candy Crush is invented. I mean, yeah. I mean, you want to store this gold. It's going to only increase in value. Yeah. Maybe in a cave somewhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why don't you just kill everybody else involved, leave it in the cave, and go home? Because you know where it is now. Yeah. Yeah. Draw, if, draw up a map for your grandchildren. What are you going to spend it on? Yeah, you're old. Come on, Curly. So West sees that two bars of gold are sitting in the mummified corpse hands of the co-pilot. Again, whose name we don't ever get. And I'm still not clear on whether this guy died holding two bars of gold or whether someone set him up with these. I, my theory is he died. And the captain... Positioned... So do you think the captain was the last one to die? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that he staged the body in such a way, like, says, don't worry, you know... But there's still not a good explanation as to why he didn't take the gold for himself. <laughs> if he survived the crash and they had, like, modes of transportation. Here's the many thing about this... It, West bailed out somewhere in Alaska in the right. mountains and got back somewhere somehow. Yeah, but didn't remember where he came from. Yeah. And uh, so, like, 
they could have gotten much farther than he did because they were all well enough to drag seven tons of gold around. Yeah, and parts of an airplane Yeah, uh, loaded up with vodka. They probably just did it like high on vodka. And also, spoiler alert, they have the whole thing built on... It's like piled onto a sled mm-hmm. that's pointed down the hill. And for some reason, they didn't take it. Yeah, so I... I really don't they understand. They just sat there and froze to death. What was going on here? They, they, you know what? They're just as guilty as West because they, they, they wasted their lives on revenge. Yeah. West wasted his life trying to find gold that he believes is his, which he was planning to steal. And these two Russian pilots wasted their life on a revenge plot. Yeah. Um, they all, they could have survived, accused West, found the plane, and then showed them, yeah, he tried to sabotage the plane to get the gold yeah here's the evidence revenge man but when he goes to pull one of the bars of gold out of this corpse this corpse's hand he notices there's a string attached to the bottom of the bar of gold mm-hmm. and it somehow causes an avalanche yeah it, it triggers the cave. The, it triggers the two bottles to drop down and collide which again if they just would have taken one of the bottles down then the other one would have just been swinging frantically by itself yeah nothing would have happened uh, and and MacGyver should have known that. Yeah, just remove all the potential energy from this situation. Yeah, just one bottle, or trip the trap and put your hands out so they yeah. don't collide. That trap is the easiest trap to disarm. Yeah, take one down, pass it around. One, one bottle, bottle of fuel, fuel on the wall. Uh, so the the jars collide, they explode. So uh, this is what it's like when jars collide. <laughs> <laughs> you know that song? No. <laughs> Are you ready to go? Cause I'm ready to go. What you wanna do, baby, baby? I don't know. I don't know this song. I can't uh, remember who sings it. Um, and uh, so yeah, so there's an avalanche happening, and West is just kind of like in a daze for some reason, and then a big chunk of ice hits him, and he falls down a bottomless pit superman 2 style yeah just disappears just gone gone forever <laughs> gone forever i'd like to think that it just was this hole that just got narrower and narrower and he's just and he's just trapped in this vice yeah um that's what i hope yeah uh and macgyver says that you know we'll get out the same way this gold got in and proceeds to maneuver seven tons of gold yeah on he's his just slides own. it around he, he just turns it casually um, and they slide down this ice cavern, blast. They're using wall. the door from the plane as a yeah. sled. Which again, that plane door would not hold seven tons of gold. Yeah, it would be flattened. This is yeah. lightweight aircraft aluminum yeah. from the forties. <laughs> uh, they would they crash through the ice wall. And they jump off because the ice... The ice wall, by the way, which looks like a frozen waterfall from the inside. Yeah. But then when we go to the outside, there's a rock formation with just an impossibly frozen wall. Like, Mm -hmm. there's no explanation as to how this closed itself up. Yeah. And uh, they burst through and they bail off the the door because it's about to hit some trees. We never see an impact. But I figure it would have gone through at least a dozen trees before it slowed down. Because, again, seven tons. Yeah. It would have been enough to like total one of those snow cats if it caught it. Yeah, it just crashes right into the snow cat. Yeah. Ah, damn it. It's like we're walking back. Yep. Well, we walked here. Shut up. <laughs> uh, so the Act Five wrap up is 
they're back at base camp somehow. And they're uh, chilling out in some chairs, drinking some hot cocoa. Mm-hmm. Uh, Natalia and MacGyver kind of like have a casual moment where they talk about uh, being what it is to be Russian, philosophical, and poetic. Yeah. And they lean in. They're about to kiss when Pete bursts in. Yep. You almost cue the laugh track yeah. of like, oh, because they interrupted their kiss. And Pete's kind of just going, being like super obnoxiously loud too. It's cold. Oh my gosh, it's so cold out there. Yeah. Yeah. Glad I beat the storm, man. Yeah. Anyway, hey, what, what are you, you guys up what to? What are you guys up to? Yeah. Oh, it looks like I interrupted something. Please continue. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like if we're like, he wasn't like excusing himself like, oh, uh, I'm sorry. It looks like I'm I'm messing something up here. Mm-hmm. Let me step outside for a minute. He's like, oh, don't let me interrupt you. Yeah. Watching, continue staring kissing. intently. Uh, Natalia kind of makes a moment. He's like, no, the lesson's over. They talk about like taking a lesson in Russian. Yeah. He's in, but she's like, the lesson's over for now. Yeah. As if she would ever come back. Right. They never come back. Just <laughs> Penny Parker. Uh, and uh, and uh, Mike, but she didn't come back yeah, for very she long. Did, yeah, she she did not last long. And what's her name from uh, season three? Who knows? Yeah. Nikki Carpenter. Oh, oh, yeah. Don't, 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 don't. That name is is synonymous with the one. <laughs> you, she will who will not be named. Yes. Uh, yeah. So that's it for this episode. I like this episode. I love booby traps. I love crazy. Even though this is like... However illogical they may be. Yeah. Illogical the better because you... I, I, I keep mentioning it, but there'll, there'll be an episode in which Kai Wolf comes back um, playing the brother or of another character yeah. that he played. Of the Von something. Von Lear. Von Lear. There you go. Um, where they're searching for a giant sapphire in this ancient... Uh, uh, Persian booby trap. This yeah. Alexander the Great. Um, That's when we get Quail back too, right? Uh, I don't no, th- Quail's a different Von Lear. Yeah, Qu- Quail's a different character. Um, yeah, yeah, he's he's yeah, that's right. He's the Von Lear brother. Right. That Kai Wolf plays the other brother too. Yeah. Um, and uh, Michael Ensign comes back as like the assistant to Von Lear. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like, yeah, they, there's a crazy episode about like crazy booby traps, and I love it. And the Holy Rose episode's got all kinds of crazy booby traps. Yeah. It's the best. And so this episode, even though it's obviously only like a 40-year-old booby trap. Yeah. and But it's built out of airplane parts. and it, You know what? It's MacGyvered. That's what I like about it. Yeah. The whole, it's kind of like back to like the assassin when MacGyver's own tricks are being used against him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I think it's neat. It's, a, it's an episode that um, I remember every moment of from childhood. Yeah, I, I just I remember because I think the the mummified corpses freaked me out. Yeah, um, which they should. Uh, and uh, it's one of those times like as a kid I probably would have covered my eyes, like watch, <laughs> watching it. Legitimately scared of the episode. Yeah, it's like I don't want to watch this part. It's not this part. Yeah. Um, and uh, I remember reading on one of the regular MacGyver blogs that somewhere online I don't know if the page even still exists, but there was like a MacGyver fan page where. Uh, a fan had interviewed Rick Drew or had like an email conversation with Rick Drew, who we've had as a writer a couple times. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, even this season, I think. And uh, he mentioned that, oops, 
uh, he mentioned that as soon as the script for this one came in, they were like, we have to shoot this. Mm-hmm. Like, this has to be a MacGyver episode. Because <laughs> it was just a really fun script. And I'm not surprised. Um, it seems like uh, David Engelbach knows what he's doing. Yeah. So. And, but again, like we were talking about earlier, how like this feels like a spec. Yeah, it because does. Because it's yeah. like, it's just out of nowhere. It, it's just Russian gold, airplane crash. Uh, guy yeah. who, who set up the, the crash 40 years later is looking for it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, this is, this is good. Yeah, like it was this. fun. And on that note, I'd like to extend a warm Phoenix Foundation welcome to the screenwriter for this episode, Mr. David Engelbach. Is it true that you hadn't actually seen an episode of the show before you landed the gig writing Gold Rush? <laughs> yes, that's actually true. Uh, I, I, I had uh, recently finished a feature film uh, that I wrote and directed. That was America 3000? Yeah, originally it was called Thunder Women. Right. Uh, just to give you an idea of the kind of film it really was, America 3000. I hated the title. I said, I don't know what is this, a race car film or what? You know, <laughs> but... You know, it, it, it wasn't my choice to make. Sure. So I was scrambling around trying to set up my next project, and I needed some cash. And my agents at the time were uh, television agents, and they had actually done the packaging, original packaging for MacGyver. So they called me up, and they said, hey, we got your gig. And I said, oh, okay, well, what is it? <laughs> and they said, it's MacGyver. And I said, okay, I've heard of it, never seen it. Uh, and I said, well, what's the deal? And I said, well, here's the producer, and I do not remember his name, up in Canada. Stephen Downing? Stephen, that's right, Stephen Downing, right. Yeah. And uh, uh, they said, give him a call. He's expecting to hear from you. So I said, okay, and hung up the phone and called my mom, <laughs> <laughs> who I knew watched MacGyver. And I said, okay, so tell me about it. And she gave me this really expert <laughs> breakdown in about three minutes. Well, he works for this. He works for this institution. Uh, there's always gets involved in some kind of adventure. He uses his wits and science to get his way out of it, and never uses a gun. Yeah. I said, okay, I got it. So <laughs> I, just thought, I think it's a pretty good breakdown of of the show. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, so I called Mr. Downing, and we spoke. You know, for a few minutes, and I said, "So, you know, the show's been—I don't—I think it was in its fourth season, fifth season. It's been on for a few years. Yeah, this is season you know. four. Yeah, and once you pass three seasons, it gets really hard to sustain any show. Sure, but um, it was actually the ratings were kind of exploding right about now in the in the series. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, where, where does it? Where do you do? What do you do that hasn't been done before? Yeah. Which is always the issue, right? And you start recycling concepts, and that's when you start. Your audience says, "Didn't we see this two seasons ago?" So that's always a problem when you get back. That's a lot of. I think there were twenty-two episode seasons back then. So we're looking at six past sixty-six yeah. episodes. So I said to him, "I said, you know, anything, uh, anything you want to look at, you know, and um, uh, and I was thinking he might refer to some thematic thing, you know, something to do with MacGyver's background." or his relationship or something, and he said, snow. I said, what? He said, we got a lot of snow. Any show you could do with snow. <laughs> well, that works. So I said, all right, let me think about it. I'll get back to you. So I said, snow, all right. And I'd always been interested in, in elements of history in World War II, and so I came up with the premise for the uh, show, which is there was a, you know, we had this Lend-Lease deal with the Russians. We we supplied them with uh, military equipment during the war, and and they supplied us supposedly with money. And the premise was that there was a, a cargo plane full of gold headed for the United States from Russia to pay for 
what the and it, the plane went down, and it was lost somewhere in a, I think Alaskan wilderness, and they couldn't. Uh, it was it was history. Um, yeah. I think there was a survivor or two survivors. I think there was one survivor from it. Yeah. And suddenly uh, there was a freak weather change. The winds cleared, and the satellite picked it up, and they figured out what it was. So of course the institute, which I don't remember, it was the institute that he worked for. Phoenix Foundation. Uh, Phoenix Foundation, right, said, said, this is a job for you. So that was the premise, and I took it from there and called him up. He said, okay, when can we have our first draft? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, do, you, do you want to break down an outline? He said, uh, no, 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 you know what you're doing. When can we have our first draft? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, how about, how about three weeks? He said, how about the end of the week? <laughs> <laughs> that works. <laughs> So I think I gave him a first draft in like 10 days, you know, and I, I tried to put some humor in it, some of which didn't quite make it to the shooting script. I remember there was a that introduced a female character, a Russian woman who was part of the Russian group that was out there, along with a former general who was, who was like, I think it was a survivor of the airplane. And they're walking through the snow, and she, she, there's one line he says to her something like, uh, uh uh, walk in my footsteps, and she's saying, "Oh, no one could do that." <laughs> and I, I think they made me cut the line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you had mentioned in an interview you did with the MacGyver Project blog that you received a VHS copy of an episode to just kind of get a feel for it before you actually sat down to write. That sounds right. I was curious um, if you had any recollection of what episode that might have been. I have no idea. <laughs> Nothing. You know, none whatsoever. I don't remember the episode. I mean, obviously, he introduced the principal characters, the the guy who was head of the foundation, and, you know, gave right. some of the background for that that I used. But I was already working on the script at the time, so it was a matter of filling in the specific details to match their um, uh, show um, standards, including the standing set and things like that, because obviously it had to be written to be produced. Right. What, what I was concerned about when I was writing it, actually, uh, was them being able to find a, uh, uh, DC-3 slash C-47, which is a military version of the plane, yeah. uh, a carcass that they could use to shoot in, you know? Um, and they found one, which I was rather impressed with, because I thought the, the, the problem wouldn't be snow, wouldn't be issues with the, with the uh, uh, character relationships it might be literally finding the the prop for the um for the uh, episode and they found one yeah and not only that but they actually had a decent match of the of the plane for shots of it in flight and a crash of the plane yeah i was actually impressed with that as well i thought that was another thing i'd have to rewrite <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, i do remember i think at the time when they asked me to do it they said that they're their DP, that he was going to direct this episode. So uh, he certainly knew the ins and outs of the show and uh, and since he'd photographed most of them, yeah. um, or a number of them. So th that was certainly, I think, helpful, and uh, that they wanted to help that, make that happen. So I, I finished my first draft, and I didn't think I could send it by 10 days, and send it up to them, and uh, they asked me to come up to Vancouver and do the revisions for production. So, um, uh, I went up to Vancouver and spent, uh, I don't know, maybe two weeks locked in a hotel room. <laughs> did you ever have a chance to visit the set while you were up there or was it mostly with the production? Yes, office? I did. No, I went, I went to the stage. I went to the, I went to the set a couple of, like two, three times. Not, I don't remember going where they shot the exterior of the plane. I remember seeing they had a, they built a mock-up of the interior of the aircraft right. on the stage. Right. 
And that, I thought, wasn't going to be an issue. Um, I really don't remember seeing the exterior in the snow. Um, but I had met Stephen Downing and some of the other um, some of the other writers, and, and I rather liked them all. I thought they were a very nice group of folks. Um, and but it was just an assignment. It was like get it out, you know, do the job. Um, and I do remember when I finished this, when I finished the script and the revisions that he did say this is one of the best episodes I've ever seen. Yeah, it's you a know, really, it's jam packed and it's really solid. I'm I'm impressed it came together in like a week or ten days, like you said. Well, I would have been writing as features for a while, and I, I kind of done a number of uh, adventure-oriented stuff. So some of the beats I knew, and the characters is pretty easy to come up with. Yeah. Um, he's a very sincere guy, so it was easy to write for him. Um, uh, it, there wasn't a, there's not a lot of complexity in terms of the background or shadings or it, it, today, which would be interesting to see what they do with the current version, the, the new version, in terms of... Um, Making it, I guess the, the standard industry buzzword is edgier, which I don't think MacGyver was. Yeah, but, that really uh, wasn't yeah. his his thing. No, um, and uh, I, which I suspect at the time, even at the time, it was a very popular show internationally. I think it was the most popular show in Germany at um, our network, or you know, even though it was an import. Um, I could be wrong about that, but I do no, remember being accurate. one of the more popular shows. Um, and. Um, they asked me if I wanted to do another one um, uh, after I finished that, or if I wanted to stay up there and basically uh, go on kind of staff, and I, that wasn't anything I was interested in doing. So I thanked him, and, and uh, no, I take it back. No, I did, do a, I did do an outline for a second episode, which he meets, he, he meets a young guy on, a, on a, fire, uh, fire, a fire station, a fire observer, and I remember Steve said, this it smells like a backdoor pilot for, <laughs> for a spinoff off MacGyver, which looking back on it, it probably was, because uh, I basically had been writing pilots. I had not been writing episodes of shows. Okay. Um, you know, so my, my experience in television was creating from scratch. So I guess my instinct was to take that and... What happens if MacGyver met a young, a young could be next MacGyver coming up, which yeah, was yeah. I think the premise of that, you know. Uh, and uh, so that was pretty much my experience with with the show. I mean, it was very frustrating doing my rewrites because they gave me a portable compact computer. I remember this, and I knew nothing <laughs> about it. I mean, I had a computer at home, but completely different operating system. The screen was about five inches big. It was very hard to read. And um, my wife, who I was not yet married to, but uh, was my girlfriend at the time, um, had experience in IT. And I was calling her like every hour from the hotel. Like, okay, it just gave me this sim. What am I supposed to do with this? And she'd say, okay, do this, backspace, do that. Okay, okay, I got it. All right, fine. And then I'd call her again. So I think the, the, the rewrites on the script took longer because uh, I had to learn how to use this damn computer. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like she should have gotten the credit on this episode. <laughs> well, she ended up nailing the writer, so I guess she got what she wanted. <laughs> <laughs> that works. Uh, television has kind of a history of sticking to the script better than, than movies tend to. Were you happy with how this one turned out? Yeah, by and large. Um, I think some of the performances were, if I look back on it, were, I was like, well, okay, it's, it's all right. You know, one, one recognizes the schedules that they have to work with. Sure, sure. Um, you know, um, I did look. I think they're all, think they're all uh, online now, and I had to look at a few minutes of it a couple of years ago when I guess it popped up. I now teach uh, uh, dramatic writing at Savannah College of Art and Design, and I think one of my students 
said, did you write this episode of MacGyver? I went, yeah. And I said, oh, because yeah, it's really cool. And at the time, I don't know if it was Netflix or what it was, but I, I looked at some of the dialogue. I listened to some of the dialogue, and I have to admit, I was a, I, I, I was a little chagrined. I went, oh, I could do better than that. <laughs> so maybe that's what happens when you try and knock out a script in 10 days. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but they seem to like it, and it, I guess it satisfied the beats of the show. And, um, uh, you know, it, it, it went on to, um, you know, to be obviously, I wasn't even seven seasons, eight seasons. Yeah, seven. Series. Yeah, it was a long run. Uh, it's, really a, it's really a remarkable season. I, I wish some luck on the redo. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hope it sticks around, too, because I've enjoyed doing this show. It's been really fun talking to people about, you know, behind the scenes. And so. Um, it would just be nice for the history of the show to continue a little bit further. Yeah, I mean, they, they were really good folks who was involved. I mean, Steve Downing, he was a really nice guy, nice guy to be dealing with. Uh, I met other people, as you would imagine, over the years who, uh, in episodic television, they were going, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Run away. But uh, he, I think it was the reason I, I, I decided I'd take a shot at writing another episode or at least outlining an episode for him. Um, and then I got, at the time, got hung up on developing a feature. So that was that was that. And we've also heard nothing but good things about Henry Winkler, who's actually still EP on the new series. Yeah, I, I never had any dealings with him. I didn't know him at all. But I, I think my agents, the ones who had actually got me the gig, um, I think they also represented Henry because they represented the series to the network. They were the packaging agents for it. Yeah. So I think they also represented him as an individual as well, which is how they got involved with the packaging of the series in the first place. Yeah. Um, so in, in this episode, there's a lot of booby traps in the cave on the way to getting the gold back. Were were these okay. all specifically drawn up in your script, or was this something yeah. that was like in partnership with? No, no, everything. That's a very detailed script. You know, they had an advisor who was Mister Wizard, you know, right. Doctor Science. And the the thing I was concerned about is, okay, what would have been in the inside of this airplane that they could use to blow the doors open when they get snowed in? Because I do remember that the wind came up and they're trapped in the airplane and they have to get out. Right. Um, and um, uh, they gave me some specific things of what I could use as a combination so I could set that up earlier. Um, when the, in the, I think in the opening sequence where we see the plane going down with the, uh, with the, with the American or Russian crew. I don't remember, was it an American or Russian crew? The, the American it? ditched and then the Russians rode it into the ground. You obviously have seen it more recently than <laughs> I have. But the, the gags in there, they were all scripted. They were all probably, they were all in the first draft. Um, uh, but most of the script that you saw was was in the first draft. That's I mean, awesome. there were changes made and uh, actish, you know, minor adjustments. Well, I wouldn't say minor because I, I went through two or three drafts on it. But it was essentially the same script with some modifications, as as happens when you're making trying to make a, an episode. Do you remember any of the specific changes other than like the dialogue one you mentioned earlier? Uh, no, I really don't. Um, Sorry, this will be a short podcast. <laughs> no, no, we we go through the whole <laughs> review of the episode, so we already have you know forty five or so minutes reviewing just the episode, and then this is like okay. the cherry on top at the end. So, <laughs> I would say I don't have a whole lot more to contribute uh, than what I've said. It was is is been quite a while, and um, you know I I'm glad it was appreciated. Let's yeah. put it that way. Well, that's what happens when we review a thirty-year-old show. Is people tend not to remember too much of the specifics, so it's just it's just fun to get what information we can out of you. What would you say of of everything you've written that that you're proudest of? 
Well, the work I'm proudest of hasn't been produced yet, so it's a, it's a, it's a movie I've been trying to get made for 10 years. But uh, the things that are actually produced, I think it was actually, believe it or not, it was a pilot for uh, an ABC series called Lottery. Um, and that was actually, I was kind of proud of that. I thought that, that they, they actually executed what I had written. And um, I liked the mix of characters and comedy and, and drama that um, with, it was an anthology show. And it um, went to series, right? Because I did see that. At, yeah, that it was a your... series. It was a series. It was, you funny you mentioned Friday night because it, it ended up at ABC at Friday night at 9 o'clock. Yeah. When Dallas, when Dallas, which is on CBS at 9 o'clock, was the powerhouse. So that, right. they, they, we, we were the sacrificial lamb. You know, they had to throw <laughs> something in that time slot. Yeah. And we actually ended up doing better in that time slot than anything ABC had for a number of years. So somebody at ABC said, hey, you know, if it's, if it's running a consistent second um, uh, against Dallas, which is in and of itself at the time kind of uh, remarkable, maybe we can get it. You know, the, uh, some uh, if we start moving it around. So they started moving the show around, and I didn't even know. I would get calls saying, "Do you know what your show is?" I said, "No, I have no idea what time it's airing or what night they're airing it on now." But <laughs> the vague we should television, but television today is a different animal than it was back then. Sure, yeah. And I think for the better, to be honest, I think the quality of television now is quite remarkable. Yeah, I think there's been a yeah. definite switch from, like, film has kind of gone downhill a little bit, and TV's definitely picked up a lot of that slack. Well, I started out as a, I started out as a, as a film director, and writing was a way to, to do that. So my orientation was always in movies. But now that I, I teach uh, screenwriting and, and uh, television writing, most of my better students are more interested in doing television than they are in movies. And it's obvious because uh, movie writing now, um, unless if you're lucky enough to get an independent film made, it's fine. But if you're doing major studio films, it's just reworking some variation of superhero or comic book or Marvel character. And, and more often than not, it's twenty different writers. You know, one person oh, gets least. handed off to another person, gets handed oh, off to another person, and oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's always, but it has been a problem on big pictures where you have multiple teams of writers, but it hasn't been as um, what's the word? Uh, I want to say grotesque, but as <laughs> as uh, yeah, okay, it's grotesque yeah. as it is today. And and the voice, it, you know, it's always been that television was always a writer's medium and film was a director's medium. Now I believe um, movies are um, the studio marketing medium, right. and television is the writer's uh, medium. Yeah. And the director, particularly for most major movies now, is just another. It's gone back to the way they were in the 1930s. They're just churning out footage so they add the CGI on it. Yeah. I think I think it's a lot less satisfying. At least I know the people who are still involved in it have been basically making the same statement, which is, you know, it's not fun anymore. Yeah, and it used to be fun, you know. So, uh, yeah. So I'm, 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 I'd be curious. I am, I am curious to see what they do with MacGyver since it really fit its time. And it was the very fact that he didn't use a gun, that he had to use his brains, that he came up with interesting situations, uh, and was in fact a a white knight character. I think uh, in today's market, I'm curious to see how they change that to not lose the essence of the character and still meet what the, I'm sure the network is demanding of it. Yeah, the, I mean, from the they've only released one promo, and who knows how much it's going to change between that and the actual series? Because apparently they're reshooting the whole pilot, they recast it, they rewrote the pilot. Like everything's changing between that and the actual oh. broadcast pilot. But he he doesn't have the humility that that Richard Dean Anderson brought to the part, 
it, he's sort of a, a little bit of a braggart. So that's that's the only like troubling character change that they've made. But well, that's a major that's a major thing because you know he was popular internationally because he was he was a he was a, a, a as a character a, a decent guy trying to do the right thing and use his wits and and had a real humanity about him and I think it certainly was one of the reasons that it worked internationally. Yeah. Um, um, and so it, it's it's always worrisome. Um, when a pilot is completely thrown out and redone, yeah, um, definitely. You know, and and particularly since they sold the show at the uh, at the upfront, so I'm wondering whether uh, the response they got was from the advertisers who wanted something different than for what they were committing to, or whether it came from CBS from the executives. I, I have no, obviously, I have no dealings with the show now, so I, that's just speculation on my part. All we can do is keep our fingers crossed for it. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. I really appreciate it. Uh, okay. There, I can't be more helpful. <laughs> oh, no, you were plenty helpful. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, I have to say, uh, for 30 years ago memory, his, he had very, very accurate descriptions of everything about the show. So, yeah. Um, I really liked listening to what he had to say i have a less accurate recollection of things i wrote like five years ago right exactly <laughs> uh yeah he he had everything he had he had all kinds of good good information so thank you very much for 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 being on the show i i really liked his analysis especially of modern films yeah and and the right the relationship between writers directors producers and on who's the TV. controlling force in the yeah. creative side yeah, yeah that is that is a that is a subject that we talk about quite often yeah uh, so thank you again for, for being on the show. Yeah, and for remembering lines that got cut from an episode yeah. that you wrote 30 years ago. But, uh, yeah, that was very interesting. So um, I might try to reach out to more writers because it's it's kind of fun to have that perspective. Oh, yeah, we, yeah, uh, yeah, We've had a lot of cast members so far, but um, I think the writers bring, like, a certain situation to it because they've seen the evolution of the episode. Mm -hmm. So it's neat to hear. But, yeah, thank you again for uh, sitting down with us. Thanks. I think that's all we have for this episode. Mm -hmm. um, if you have any thoughts you want to share on this, you can find us on Twitter at Opening Gambit, or you can find us at facebook.com slash Podcast or our website, phoenixfoundationpodcast.com. If you're digging the show, feel free to review us on iTunes. And tune in next week. We're going to be covering Season 4, Episode 15. Invisible Killer. The Invisible Killer, which is marks the second uh, direction from Dana Elkar. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the same it's screenwriter. Same writer, yeah. So, yeah. So stay tuned for that. Yes. Thank you for listening. Thank you.